let's pray as we come to God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our God, you are so good to us. We thank you for your word and that you feed us by your word. And we pray that you'd help us now, as you are the God who speaks, help us to be your people who listen. Would you give us hearts and minds that are fixed and focused on you? Would you delight us with the things that we consider together? And would you help us, we pray, to honour Christ as we do. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Radio, there's only two types of people in the world. You know who they are, don't you? Those who divide people into two groups and those who don't. You thought I was going to say dog lovers and cat lovers, right? No, 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 no. Oh, actually, maybe you'd want to go all West Side Story and say there's the jets and there's the sharks. Or maybe beyond the trivial, we would go into the divisions we see kind of everywhere and we experience ourselves. Rich and poor, men and women, young and old, liberal and conservative, single and married, environmental or industrial, indigenous or foreigners, uh, LGBTQI plus or binary, smokers or non-smokers, or the most recent and exciting division that is coming to our world, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. <laughs> However you want to cut it, we all do it. Oh, actually, there's a new one I heard this week. A whole bunch of people when I asked this question uh, said Australians and Americans. Who knew that? I, that was new to me, but here we go. So, uh, However we divide it up, have we divided these divisions are there, and we're used to them. Uh, they're all these people that we're naturally suspicious of and just a little bit fearful of because they're not like us. And those kind of divisions can easily spill over into hostility, can't they? Ugly emotions breed ugly thoughts that can breed uglier words and actions. And over time, dividing walls of hostility uh, get built between us and erected. And we're kind of okay with that because, well, at least we know that we belong. And we know where we belong compared to everyone else. And yet there is still one divide, one division between two people groups that has deeper roots than any other and has a broader reach and impact on our world than any other. And that's the division between Jews and Gentiles. And it's so profound in human history and human society that it, it actually has the longest history of all these divisions. And that division that's been a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile puts everyone on one side or the other based upon who we are when we're born. We don't, we don't even get to choose about this. This is something that just happens to us. At birth, we're either a Jew or we're not a Jew, which means we are a Gentile by default. Now, as we've just heard in that passage that Kath read out for us, that means Jews were God's chosen people near to God and everyone else... It's considered to be a foreigner, a stranger, far away, without hope and without God in the world. That's the difference. And this deep historical division is where that term anti-Semitism comes from. Any Gentile who hates a Jew is anti-Semitic. Adolf Hitler, perhaps in the 20th century, the most famous of anti-Semites in modern history, but he certainly didn't invent it. It's been running a very long time. So even in merry old England, back at the very start, as we have the Magna Carta and we have the whole setting up of that nation and all that happens there, the first 200 years of English history was filled with Jewish massacres. And it got so bad, in fact, that it led to the expulsion of the Jews from the British Isles from 1290 onwards. 
And they weren't allowed back in. No Jew was allowed back in until 1655 when Oliver Cromwell, uh, so there's no king and now we've got the Christians running the place for a little while, lets in the Jews again. But even then, they were under all kinds of legal restrictions against Jewish immigration, and against Jewish employment, right up until the 1940s. And this prejudice between Jews and Gentiles, we think, well, is it really there? Does it even happen anymore? Well, yeah, it still runs very deep with fascist and far-right groups still denouncing regularly in all parts of the world the Jewish threat to our well-being. Anti-Semitism, it's never far below the surface. And it started way back when Noah got off the ark. Noah and his sons as they emerged. You see, a Semite, a Jew by birth, is a person who descends from Noah's son Shem. Abraham and all his descendants come from the line of Shem. You can see it there in Genesis, that's where they come from. Meanwhile, the rest of the world's population all comes from the other two brothers, Ham or Japheth. So Shem, Ham and Japheth with their wives were there on Noah's ark with Noah. That's who was there. And so the dividing wall of hostility begins between these brothers between them, and it only got wider, stronger, and taller, and more significant when God spoke up and started specifically blessing the descendants of Shem through Abraham. He gave them those things we heard in that passage, the covenant promises and these physical signs like circumcision that set them apart as God's chosen people, God's particular choosing and blessing of the Semites, well, it kind of only made it worse because, well, he blessed them and so everyone else came to fear them. So some people say, of course, that we can blame God for the problem. We can blame God for this dividing wall of hostility. It's defined the world ever since. I mean, if he just left them well enough alone, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe. Maybe not. But regardless of speculation, we must remember that God did what he did so that the descendants of Shem would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to lead other people to God. The channel of God's blessing, peace and salvation was supposed to go through them to all the other people. So by God pouring out his blessing upon them, all the nations would be blessed in every single generation. That was the plan. And it kind of made sense because Noah's name means peace. So yeah, great, we're going to get peace. It's going to happen. It's going to work. But his sons did their level best to hate and divide. And here we are with these two groups that have proven to be impossible to reconcile ever since. Impossible, that is, until God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the most famous Semite in all history, God's son, our Lord. As we heard last week, after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended, he began pouring out his spirit into the hearts of all whom the Lord our God called to him. And not just the Jews, sure, it started there in Jerusalem. Yes, absolutely, it was the Jews, 3,000 added there on that first day. But then it swiftly overflowed Jerusalem to the Gentiles, moving out from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and then into all the Gentile regions and all the Gentile peoples in all the earth. So what had been an impossible barrier that could not be overcome for two and a half thousand years since Noah was broken down by Jesus as 
He poured out his spirit and spirit-filled gospel preachers carried the good news to Jews, yes, and to Gentiles also who responded and came together and formed this new community that you and I are very familiar with, this new community today that we call the Christian Church. So this letter that's been read out for us, a portion of it, uh, this is a letter written by a Jew, Paul, to a mostly Gentile audience, the people who lived in Ephesus. So hence it's called the letter to the Ephesians, the people who left, lived there at that time. And Paul's reminding them of this incredible transformation that happened, this astonishing thing that occurred when Jesus made the good news available to them. It reached Ephesus through Paul as he was the one who took that witness to them. So he reminds them, picking up there in verse 12. So remember before, boys, remember before he's saying to him, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. You were without hope and you were without God in the world. But, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by the blood of Christ. Those who are far away, they've come near because of him. See, the impossible has been made possible by Christ by Christ intervening in the problem, getting his body into the problem. And we get this, don't we? We, we understand this plot line. You know, opposing sides with deep-seated prejudices, being united by a hero who bridges the gaps and brings everyone together. It's a common theme in most movies and books that we've, movies we see and books we read. It, it's there in all the good films, that this narrative sells. And the movie's going to end, of course, in a glorious display of unity, probably with a song. And probably with maybe a dance number as well. So to to quote High School Musical, we're not the same. We're different in a good way. Together's where we belong. We're all in this together and we know when we are, we're all stars and our dreams come true. Clearly not enough of you know this. (sighs) All right. Uh, But spoiler alert, the moment you take out Troy and Gabriella from the mix and they have an argument or they have a tiff or they leave the school, it all falls apart. It's the same plot line in every movie. Radio, there's three of them, just saying. Same thing happens every time. They bring everyone together, then it all falls apart. And that's likewise true in every papered over coming together, division coming together in history. The moment the hero falls, fails, dies or walks away, the the new allies return to being old enemies. So why hasn't that happened in the church? Why hasn't it happened? It certainly should have. I mean, think of it. Like Troy and Gabriella graduating from East High and that's that. Jesus graduated. He's gone ascended to the right hand of the Father on high 2,000 years ago. He's not here anymore. And yet still we find groups of Jews and Gentiles coming together from every nation, calling on Christ and gathering, receiving the Holy Spirit and forming these funny little things that we do here together called church communities all over the globe. Even in places as surprising as the northern Illawarra. I mean, how far distant are we from Jerusalem in both geography and culture, not just to mention 2,000 years? 
So totally different. But here we are. This community right here, right now, you and me together, declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and loving on each other and serving and giving our time and resources in his name. This, this church community, it's a bizarre historical anomaly. This is bizarre. It's, it's not normal. It's not normal anywhere in the world. So what's going on? What, what holds us together? What holds all those churches together? What makes it tick? Well, it's the same now as what it is with what it began. The answer is Jesus. It's still Jesus who does it. Uh, Verse 14, continuing on. For he himself is our peace. We don't invent some kind of unity. We don't do stuff together that means all of a sudden we can do what another one else can do. No, no. He himself is our peace who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Yes, between Jew and Gentile, but also all the differences between all of us. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself, in himself, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near For through him we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. That's how it happens. Jesus did it. Jesus does it. Jesus is doing it. Not only does he give us each individual peace with God by reconciling us to him on the cross, Jesus also puts puts to death our hostility towards one another. That hostility we have with God that he's just getting it wrong all the time, well, he sorted that out and he sorted out our hostility together. And it's surprising, isn't it? I mean, you annoy me. I annoy you. I know. It's it's just what it is. It's okay. Let's call it what it is. And there's all kinds of reasons why that should be true. Some of you live in the 2515 postcode. I don't. And that's just the start of our differences. That's just the start of our problems, right? So easy to annoy each other. And our hostility is there's so many provocations that make it possible, but all these things have been put to death by Christ. And more again, having been placed in him, in his body, we now have common access together to the Father by the one Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gives you access to God. He's the same Holy Spirit that gives me access to God. The same spirit every person who is in Christ has living in them. Jesus may be seated on that throne physically at the right hand of God in heaven, but his spirit is with us, coursing in and through everyone who calls on the Lord Jesus to be saved and also among us so that he is our peace. And so for every other reason under the sun that means we're different and we're nothing alike and we could well be enemies, but because we're in Christ, by that same Spirit, we have the same identity. And so this new community of peace is the impossible result. Now, if if you're here this afternoon, if you're here this evening and, and you don't know this peace I'm talking about, if it just doesn't make sense, you know, peace with God, how's that happen? And, and peace with each other, like no hostility? If that's something that is completely strange to you, 
I'm so glad you're here to hear this because this is what is on offer for every single living, breathing human being. It's still on offer. It is, as I said earlier, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved, will receive His Spirit. He gives us an identity green card, if you like, this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, something therefore that can't be taken from us. We can't lose. We can't accidentally drop it. We can't turn our back and disappears because the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance. And it's a status that He gives us that doesn't lead us to, you know, look down on others because, hey, they don't have what we have. No, no, no. He doesn't lead us to keep that, you know, fearful, bigoted distance that we normally have with people who are different to us. No, it's, it's one that brings us together into this community that he has formed. Verse 19, consequently. Consequences are usually bad, right? Yeah, not when you've got Christ's Spirit living in you, because consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. We're no longer those, but we're now fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as that chief cornerstone. And it's in Him, in Him, that the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two, us, we are being built together. It's a work in progress, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We belong. We belong at last. Invited in. And it's not because of hostility that we know where we belong. We belong because of what He's done. No longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of His household being built together to be this dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Oh, this is big news. It's the most significant thing that happened in history. And it's why we've got 24 books of the New Testament that talk about it. So let's mark it down. Let's mark it here. We've been keeping track of this, haven't we? Let's remember this cornerstone moment by recording it. This is that graph that's there in your outline. We've been looking at this every single week through this series. We've been walking through the Bible in our kingdom table. We've been tracking how it is that God's kingdom works. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Well, that looked very specific back then in Israel. It looked very specific even before. It looked very specific back in Noah's time. It looks very specific now in this time that you and I live. So what have we got? In this time period that we live in, God's place, we looked at it last week, it is in Christ, by His Spirit, in us. God's rule, we're going to think about that next week. We're going to look more closely at what that is. And what we've just heard from this passage is that God's people, no longer the Jews or no longer someone born by blood or something else, rather, it's in Christ together by His Spirit in us. Together. This, this together thing going on, this one another thing going on that the New Testament unpacks for us in Christ, together by His Spirit in us. So it's the Spirit who brought you here tonight, who gathered you into God's people on this occasion. It's the Holy Spirit who draws us and gathers us because we are those who are in Christ. And that's, that's what makes it so easy to come together and to spend time pondering the depths of treasures of God's Word about Jesus. 
It's because the Holy Spirit is the one who's drawing it. I know, I, I know the cushions are comfortable and it's not a bad place to be and all that, but that's not enough to get us here, is it? But the Holy Spirit calling us together into His community, mm. that'll do it. That'll do it because He points us to Jesus and Jesus is our peace. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I love this fact about it. I was that 19-year-old who didn't know Jesus and had all kinds of conflict that I was in and coming out of and constantly existing within, and all of a sudden, I get invited into this community that has no conflict, no hostility, no hostility with God, no hostility with one another. That provided and has provided ever since sufficient motivation to get me to gather with God's people weekly. Because it doesn't happen anywhere else. It's an incredible difference. It's just that good. And that's reason enough, perhaps. And yet God gives us more reason to gather than this. Much more reason than just the peace we experience and the peace that we're expressing. Even more. See, just like being a Jew wasn't supposed to be a dead-end game, it wasn't supposed to be a destination point. Well, so too, the church, God's new community in Christ by His Spirit in this time before He returns, it's not supposed to be a dead-end station. It's not supposed to be a destination point where we navel-gaze and sing kumbaya while shutting everything out from around us. This is not heaven. This is not the end point. This is the waiting room while we wait for the real deal. And, but we're not just waiting He's got something for us to do. And in fact, the church even now exists for very specific reasons that the New Testament goes on to explain and Ephesians explains very detailed kinds of ways. There's a purpose, a purpose to this new community that he's created. And it's a purpose that we're supposed to, well, know about and then pursue and then live out together. And it's a big purpose. It's a grand and it's all-encompassing purpose. It's, maybe it's a purpose you've never heard of before, but it's the one that's written for us in the New Testament. So in case you've never heard it before, I warn you, strap yourself in because you're, you're on for a big ride. We've been caught up in something big here. You ready? What's this thing actually for? What's this church? What's this gathering for? What's the purpose of this new community in Christ? It's for God. It's for us. It's for others. And it's forever. That's why this new community exists. It's for God, for us, for others, forever. Excited? Yeah, I can't tell by the mask, but I am. So I'm excited. So let, let's unpack this just a little bit. Okay, so before anything else, before anything else, it's actually for God. It's for God himself. This new community is where God displays the glory of his power and the magnificence of his grace in Christ Jesus. Where's God doing miracles in the world? In the church. That's where he's displaying these things. Not only is it God's household where Jesus is the chief cornerstone on which everything else is built, this new community is Christ's body of which he is the head. And it's being built into this dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's for him. So in this time frame before Jesus returns, this new community is where God reveals the mysteries of his grace in Christ. It's where he's revealing these things. Check it out a little bit further on. Ephesians 3, 10 to 11. Uh, it tells us his intent, his intent 
was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where God displays his glory and his grace to all the heavenly authorities that you and I can't even see. He's saying, look there, that's where I'm doing it. This is it. This is the spot. You and I in Christ are the community where God displays the power of His glory and the magnificence of His grace. The church is for God. It's for God. But as, of course, we've all experienced, we also know it's also for us. Because this is the only community where we can be transparent, truly transparent about who we are. Because in this community is where Christ is our peace. This one. This is where we are made alive, accepted, forgiven, entrusted and empowered to serve, doing those good works that God himself prepared in advance for us to do. Things that he's prepared for us to do while we wait Jesus' return. So it's to this new community that not only, so when not Jesus rose from that, he poured out his spirit into each of us individually, but he also did it for this community, this new community. And that's what we read as we continue on in Ephesians. So 4 verse 11 and following. As he ascended, Christ himself gave, again, to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service for, again, a particular reason so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That doesn't happen anywhere else in our world. There's no other community that's seeking to do that for its members. There's no one else that's doing that. But that's what's going on as we meet. That's God's intention for us as we meet. The church is for us, for those things to occur. But again, it's not only for us, is it? It's not only for us who are already gathered. See, we're not meant to be the only people who benefit from Christ pouring out His Spirit either into us individually or into us corporately. Now, this new community is supposed to have open doors and be a beacon of welcome to everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. We heard at that passage in Acts 2.39 at Pentecost, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, will call to Himself. God's calling people into his community. He's the one who's bringing them and calling and drawing them in, and he does. Forgiveness and the Holy Spirit's not just for you and me hearing this. No, it's likewise for our children and for people who are far off, people that you and I would not even think of, whom the Lord our God will yet call. This is why we wear name tags. Yeah, I asked you to do it when we, I got here in March because I was the stranger foreigner coming in and I had no idea who anyone was. And I'm really thankful that you welcomed the stranger. But I'm not the only stranger we expect to ever darken the doors of this church. Am I? No. That's why we reveal who we are. We open up our doors. We open up our lives and we welcome in 
whom our Lord will call. Just as we found in Ephesians 2, Jesus went to the cross so that foreigners and strangers can become fellow citizens with God's people, members of his household alongside us. Yes, the church is for God. Oh, yes. And yes, it's for us who've already gathered. But it's never at the expense of those who are yet to arrive. So God's community, it's new community. It's for God, it's for us, it's for others, and it's for... I'm just seeing if anyone can remember what I said earlier. Forever! Yeah, that's it, it's forever. It's also forever. On the last day, at Jesus' return, the people he's going to return to collect, to take to be with him, is his body, his church. Those in Christ Jesus can't be shaken or destroyed in God's final judgment. Those in Christ will be there. On the last day, Jesus will come to collect his people. As we heard it, the, the way it's phrased, he's the head, we're the body. He's not going to be separate from his body forever. He's going to bring his body to be with him. Another phrase or another image we get is the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. Ephesians 5 talks about it in that exact language. And he's coming to get his bride and to take her to be with him in his father's house eternally in the great wedding supper of the Lamb, the great feast. Now, God the Father has already begun, though, to do this spiritually. He's already begun to do this. For those of us who are in Christ, and his delight to do this continues eternally. So Ephesians 2 verse 6, uh, can, so it's just going back a little bit. So God raises us up with Christ. So he's already done this. Uh, we're seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Your butt's on that chair right now, but guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, your butt's also in heaven. Hard to understand. Spiritually, we're there, seated in Christ in the heavenly places and physically right here, right now. And why has he done that? Well, because he plans to bring it all together in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. If he hasn't given us enough yet, he's got more to give, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And the Bible goes on and we get to the very last chapter of the whole thing, Revelation 22, and we get this incredible image of God's people together, together around the throne, eating and physically present in all kinds of beautiful, wonderful ways this particular phrase, 22 verses 3 to 5, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. No, no distance will actually be present with him. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads and they will reign forever and ever. Do you ever say that about servants? No, they're supposed to be somewhere else, aren't they? Not the servants of Christ. Uh-uh, seated on the throne with him forever and ever. There is no end for what God has promised to those who are in his household. The church is for God, for us, for others, forever. And that's why it's worth hanging around in this new community that Jesus has made. We've been caught up in God's incredible purposes that are greater than any one of us can imagine. And even now, we are still, even now we're being built into this dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. That's why this community that gathers like we do is where every self-declared Christian belongs. 
because this is actually where we belong. It's where we express our identity and remember who we are. This is our privilege because this is our people. It's our privilege. This is our people. We're no longer foreigners and strangers. We're no longer far off. We're in Christ, in his community, by his spirit. We've been brought near by the blood of Christ, which he spilt to do it, to bring us in. Friends, till Jesus returns, we belong. We belong in his community. Till Jesus returns to take us home and pour out those immeasurable riches of his grace upon us even more. Till then, this is our privilege. This is our people. This is where we belong. Amen.